actually called the Salt Company. So, shouts out to all the college students. And uh, shouts out to my wonderful co workers, uh, Mitchell and Lainey Dugan. Awesome. Well, uh, I am uh, really. Do I need to back up? Maybe I do. Let's see if that helps. Okay. Uh, I'm really honored to have the privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. So, thanks to Pastor Carly and Pastor Dahadi for. Uh, giving me an opportunity to, to preach. And uh, if you're new for your first time, welcome. Uh, we're in the middle of a series right now called Make Room, uh, where we're exploring the blessing of biblical hospitality. And, uh, you know, you all are sitting at tables. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been starting with some questions to help us uh, kind of set the stage for where we're going in the sermon. So we're going to keep with tradition today. Uh, and here's the question that I want you all to think through and answer uh, at your table. Uh, when you're at home by yourself... And you know, you're not expecting anyone, you don't have any plans, any guests, and the doorbell rings or somebody knocks on the door or bangs on the door, uh, how do you respond and why do you respond that way? That's the question I want y'all to discuss at your table. So take a couple minutes. All right, all right. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm interested to, I heard a lot of laughing and, and smiling and gesturing, so I'm, I'm interested to hear some of the responses. Uh, what were some responses that y'all had? When the doorbell rings and you're not expecting anyone, uh, how do you respond and why? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Love that. What else? Very carefully. Okay. Yeah. Very careful. Okay. So there's some suspicion. What else? Okay. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Got you, got you. Anybody else? Other thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I thought you, okay, cool. Um, in this day and age, so I'm working on cameras. Yes. I'm looking at the camera. If I don't know you, I'm around at the door. Got you. <laughs> got you. All right, last one. Got you. Well, I'll be honest, I, I relate with all of those answers. If, when, I, when I thought about this question, I thought about my own response. You know, I felt a lot like most of you. I think it, I, I can imagine an instance and remember an instance. Somebody knocked on my door, and I was sitting on the couch, and I was by myself, and I was like, do, do, do. And I was like, I just froze. And I was like, okay, if I don't move, then they won't, they won't know that I'm here. And so I like freeze, and I kind of tiptoe across my house to like the little Alexa so I can see who is on the ring camera. And really, we're just, we're just trying to look and make sure, okay, is the person at my door, are they scary? Are they weird? Are they crazy? Like, is there something crazy that they're trying to do to me, right? In other words, what's happening when someone comes and knocks on our doors, we're operating out of the old childhood kind of status of like stranger danger, you know? You know, you're like at a park or whatever, and like some, some weird person walks up to you and like, hey, what's your name? And you're like, ah, stranger danger, right? It's scary. Right? Like, don't get me wrong. 
I have a three-year-old. I'm going to teach him. He's almost three. Uh, I'm going to teach him, yeah, hey, we, we, there should be some caution that you take. Right? If somebody comes up to you like, hey, come with me over here, and you don't know who they are, don't go with them. If someone comes up to you and tries to offer you candy, don't take it from them. Don't go with them. Right? There is some caution that we should experience with strangers. But I think sometimes this, this idea, this dynamic of stranger danger keeps with us throughout the course of our lives, even as we mature and grow. And the truth is, is, is not all strangers are dangerous. And not all strangers are worthy of our suspicion. In fact, sometimes strangers can be quite helpful. I remember when I was a, a younger, uh, I was at the store with my mom, and I got separated from her. I had no clue where she went. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm lost. I'm stuck. Someone's going to take me. And so I went up to a stranger and I said, hey, can you help me? And they're like, yeah. And they took me up to the front. We talked to the, to the person at the, uh, at the desk. And they're like, Deb Hughes, can you, or, you know, whatever. Deb Hughes, can you please come? Uh, your son's up here at the front desk. And she came and she got me. The stranger was helpful. And today, as, uh, as we look at our text in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we're going to see that this text is going to challenge us to beware of stranger danger and to live our lives not neglecting strangers, but making room for them. Listen to this text. It says, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Some of your translations might say, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. As we walk through this text today, I really want to ask three simple questions. One, who's the stranger? Two, how do we, or why do we welcome the stranger? And three, how do we welcome the stranger? So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Who is the stranger? Why do we welcome the stranger? And how do we welcome the stranger? So let's start with Who? Who's the stranger? Well, to begin, I think it's actually helpful to begin to understand who the stranger is biblically, is actually to start with this word, hospitality. I'm usually not one that uses Greek. I, I, a lot of times when I'm prepping and things like that, I don't look at it. But I happened to come across it as I was, as I was doing some reading, and, and I thought that it, was, it would actually be helpful to bring this out. So bear with me in my, my uh, ignorance in terms of Greek. So uh, the word for Greek is this word, philoxenia. Philoxenia, and, and, and it's, uh, if you were to look at it, how it's spelled, it's P-H-I-L-O-X-E-N-I-A. And they take two wor uh, root words, so you see philo or philo or philos, and then you see this word xeno, and they kind of slam the, 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 they put them together. And, it's, and it stands for this, uh, this word, this phrase, it's simple definition, is entertaining strangers. And then we see these two, ro these two roots, right? Philo or philos, or in some cases, this is where we get the word Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. And so it says, hey, you're supposed to take brotherly love, this family love where there's security and there's care, and you're supposed to, to offer it to someone. The question is to who? Well, the second root is this word xeno, where we get the word, where we get the word xenophobia from. Not a great word, right? This dislike or prejudice of people from other countries or nations, that's not a great thing. But in other words, a simple definition is stranger or foreigner or even just the term other, people other than us, other than our preference, other than our family, other than the people that we're maybe most close to. And I think it's interesting that it takes this word for hospitality and it begins to expand it. Because if you look at verse 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. It says, you all, as a community of people, as the believers of Jesus Christ, you're to love each other with this brotherly, this familial love. 
where there is care, where there's acceptance, where there's comfort, where there's welcome, and that's supposed to take place and sacrifice amidst one another. And what he does through using these words and connecting them is he takes this idea of brotherly love and he begins to stretch it outside of the categories where we typically feel safe and secure. And he says, I want to take this brotherly love and stretch it into this other category to people that might bring fear to you, to people that might be suspicious to you, to people that might even be seemingly of lesser value to you. Let brotherly love continue and don't neglect to show hospitality. Brotherly love to the other in your life. So before we move on, I ask you, who are the others in your life? The people that make you suspicious the people that make you nervous, the people that make you a little bit uncomfortable to be around, the people that if if you were seen associating with them, people might be like, what are they doing with him? Or what are they doing with her? Or what are they doing with them? Whoever that is for you, that's the very person that God is calling you to show hospitality to. But it expands a little bit more because this idea of welcoming the stranger, it actually would have been a pretty familiar cultural concept, particularly to the readers of Hebrews. And simultaneously, it also would have been quite challenging because not only by definition, the definition that we just talked through hospitality, um, does it help stretch it, right? but we also see that, that this has an attachment to, to the Jewish scriptures. This, this particular verse, it says, right, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Now, that sounds like a cool thing. Like, well, I might be able to welcome an angel. That sounds awesome. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what he's getting at in, in the most physical way, but there was at least one individual in the, in the Jewish scriptures in the book of Genesis chapter 18 where we're going to see something like this. And so first things first, we need to recognize that this isn't in an allusion, if you will, and with an A, to Genesis chapter 18. And so if you're unfamiliar with that, there's, a, there's a, a man and his wife, Abraham and Sarah, and they're in their tent, and these three guests show up. It says that they appear like men, and what we come to find out is it says God made an appearance to them. God shows up in the appearance of a man with two other angels, and Abraham runs out, and he falls on his face, and he says, Lord, let me do this for you. Let me welcome you. Let me make cakes for you. Let me slaughter the fattened calf for you. Let me bring you milk and curds. And that's exactly what he does. He welcomes these guests. He welcomes these angels, the the physical manifestation of God's presence into his house. And this story set the expectation for for the rest of the Jewish people in terms of what it looked like to be hospitable towards the stranger. That you would be quick to welcome them, that you would honor them and bless them through your hospitality. Spending your resources and your best resources in order to welcome the foreigner and the one that's far away that's come to your doorstep. This set the trajectory for what it looked like for the Jewish people to love their neighbor. But this isn't the only thing that God has to say about hospitality throughout the rest of the the scriptures and particularly throughout the rest of the Old Testament. When you you come, uh, when the people in the Jewish people get delivered out of of, uh, oppression in from Egypt, and God takes them to Mount Sinai, and he begins to teach them what it looks like to be his people, to love him and to love their neighbor. He begins to unpack this idea of, hey, I'm calling you to be hospitable, and here's who I'm calling you to be hospitable to. And so we're not going to look at the Exodus 19 reference. I actually want to look at the Deuteronomy 10 reference. So if, if, you, if, you're, if you have a Bible, you can flip with me there. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 19. 
Listen to this. It says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving him food and clothing. And you also are to love the resident alien. So how does God define who the neighbor is in his law? It's not just the stranger that wanders to your door. It's the fatherless. It's the widow. It's the orphan. It's the foreigner or the immigrant or the resident alien, the one who is not known or seen in your land. In other words, if we were to put these maybe in broad categories, it's the oppressed, it's the poor, it's the lonely, it's the immigrant. And as I thought about this list, and I thought about why in the world would the author say, don't neglect to show hospitality to these people. I think it suddenly became clear to me why he might use a word like, like neglect. It just simply means to forget or to overlook. Which made me ask the question, okay, well, why do I, why do I forget things? Why do I neglect things? Why do I overlook things? Well, oftentimes, I tend to neglect the things that that seemingly don't have a lot of value to me. And when I think about their society, and when I think about our society, if we were just to ask the question, hey, who are the people that contribute the most to our society? I guarantee you, if we just went out on the street and took a poll, nobody that you come across is going to say, well, yeah, I think the fatherless offers a lot to our society, or the widow offers a lot to our society, or the orphan, or the, or the immigrant, or the foreigner, or the lonely, or the oppressed. They're not the ones that offer a lot to our society at least seemingly, people are going to say doctors and physicians and lawyers and celebrities and all of these kinds of things. This group of people gets overlooked primarily because they don't seem valuable to us. But God is saying, this is exactly who I'm calling you to, to extend hospitality to. And it would have been the same thing. This would have been a challenge not only to our society, but a challenge to theirs. Because in the Roman world, hospitality was not necessarily about an extension of brotherly love and kindness. It was about value. I'm going to welcome people into my life. I'm going to welcome people into my home. I'm going to welcome people into my world who can contribute value to me and can make me look good in front of everybody else and help me climb the social ladder. So even if I do have to welcome the poor, I'm going to be particular about which ones that I bring around me because I don't want them to strip glory and honor from my name. And I think for us, it's the same thing. We value advancement in our culture. We value people that are going to help us get to where we want to go, do the things that we want to do. And we say, if you can't get me there, or if you don't look like you're going to be the type of person that's going to get me there, then I'm not going to let you into my life. But as we read Hebrews 13, God is saying, I'm not calling you just to make room to people who are valuable to you and seem the most valuable to your society. 
I'm calling you to make room for the people that seem invaluable to you. Insert seemingly invaluable in your society. That's who the stranger is. That's who we're called to pursue. That's who we're called to extend brotherly love and hospitality to. This familial love and care to the widow, to the poor, to the orphan, to the fatherless, to the oppressed, to the immigrant. And so the question is why? Why welcome this group of people? Two reasons. One, because this is who God chooses to associate himself with. Look back with me at Deuteronomy chapter 10. So he says, the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, an awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the resident alien, giving them food and clothing. When I look at this text and what I see is that hospitality, the reason why we welcome the stranger is because this is whom God chooses to associate himself with. This is the one whom God attaches his name to and says, what I'm trying to show you about myself is that I love the lowly, not the mighty and the proud. If anybody should have understood this, it should have been the people of Israel. Why? Because their very choosing was based upon this fact. Deuteronomy 7, 7, the Lord has set his, or excuse me, the Lord had his, had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were numerous and more numerous than all peoples, but for you were the fewest of all people. You were the least likely nation. You were the oppressed nation. You were the poor nation. You were the overlooked, the forgettable nation, but you are the one that I've chosen to associate myself with and put my name on, that you might have value and honor and dignity and be the very vessel through which I show my glory and honor and power to the world. God calls us to love the stranger because this is who he chooses to associate himself with. This is who he puts his name on. I think about, I was thinking about this earlier this morning. I was like, why in the world is it that when I go to the store and I go to buy a hoodie and I have a Nike hoodie in this hand and I have some other maybe no-name brand of hoodie in this other hand and they feel the exact same, the, the, the fabric is pretty similar, all of those things, why does the Nike one cost $80 versus this other one that costs $15? You want to know why? It's because of the name that's on it. You get to represent Nike. You get to represent LeBron. You get to represent Aaron Judge. You get to represent people that have a name in our society. Athletes and famous people. Serena Williams, like all of these people that has a name on it. And you get to be brought into association with them. And they say, okay, we're going to make money off of that because you get to bear this name. The name on the jacket determines its value. And God is saying, to this group of people, to the stranger, I'm putting my name on them. You don't have the right to determine their value. My name is on them, therefore they are valuable. Go after them. Welcome them. Bring them near. 
We welcome the stranger because this is who God chooses to associate himself with. But the second reason we welcome the stranger is because this is who we once were. Look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verse 19. He says, you're also to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. You love the resident alien. Why? Because you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. See, Israel, they were a stranger in the land of Egypt. They were in a land that wasn't theirs, oppressed, and seemingly feeling forsaken. Our God has abandoned us. And so what God did is he raised up a servant named Moses, and he sent them to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And what we see there is that in God's delivering act, it it wasn't merely an act of liberation, although it was, but it was an act of hospitality. I'm coming to get you, and I'm bringing you out, and I'm bringing you to myself, and I'm redeeming you as my son, and I'm taking you to a permanent home where I will dwell with you, and you will dwell with me. You were a stranger, and I've brought you to a a home, a place where you belong, and I've given you identity, and I've given you a name, and I've given you a family to belong to. You are my son, and and I will make my home with you. Israel's delivering act was an act of hospitality from God, welcoming the stranger and making them family. And it's the same thing for us. Listen to these words in Ephesians chapter 2. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near. And look down at verses 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What's the language you hear there? Strangers, foreigners, far off, excluded. He says, but because of, because something's happened, If you're a Christian, you're you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner, but you are a family member of God's household. You're a citizen in his family. In other words, if you're a Christian in this room, what's happened to you? You have been a recipient of God's hospitality. Our salvation is an expression of God's hospitality, his familial-like love to us. And the only reason that that's possible is because Jesus chose to become a stranger for us. The only reason that we are able to become recipients of God's hospitality is because Jesus chose to become a stranger for us. How do we see that? Well, think about his birth. First of all, he was the king of kings who dwelled in the heavens with God. And he chose to come down to earth. 
And there was prophecies about this, that he'd be born in a city, in the city of David. And you know what happened when the day for his arrival came? You know what Bethlehem, you know what happened in Bethlehem? They were not hospitable to Jesus. There was no palace for him to be welcomed into. There was no home for him to be welcomed into. There was no inn for him to be welcomed into. He was born outside, in the cold, in a feeding trough, a stranger to the city of Bethlehem. Think about his life. Someone came up to Jesus one time and said, Jesus, let me follow you. He says, foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What's Jesus saying? If you follow me, you're going to be a wandering stranger. You're going to be homeless. So we see it in his birth, we see it in his life, but most ultimately, we see it in his death. Jesus is hanging on the cross for strangers, not just because of oppression, not just because of bad times, but for strangers who are strangers because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. Or think, think back to the garden. What's the garden? It's, it's, an, it's, it's a hospitable place. God spoke and created the ultimate place of hospitality and invited us into his presence. And what happened? We turned away from him, turned in on ourselves, and said, you know what? I think I'll be a better God. I think I'll be a better host than you. And what does he do? He kicks us out. And what do we experience for the first time? What did Adam and Eve experience? And what does the rest of humanity experience for the rest of their lives? Exile. We've experienced what it's like to be strangers in this world. And so what Jesus does is he comes down and he says, I'll be a stranger for you, even though you have no reason for me to do this. You should be left in your oppression. You should be left in your poverty. You should be left in your exile, but I'm going to come and become a stranger for you. And when he's up there on the cross, bleeding, suffocating, struggling, And on the brink of death, you know what he cries out? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To experience the darkness and the loneliness of being forsaken by the Father for an instant. To becoming the ultimate stranger for an instant. So that we, who once were strangers, might be able to be brought home. Christ became a stranger for us so that we might have a dwelling place in the family and in the home of God. Both Moses and Paul remind the Israelites and remind us, God's people, hey, don't forget who you once were. Remember, you were the stranger. And so now what that does is that empowers us with empathy it empowers us with compassion. It, compower, excuse me, it empowers us with understanding to be able to step into the life of the stranger, to be able to step into the life of the oppressed, to be able to step into the life of the other, not with pride, saying, oh, I got so much to offer you, but to, to step in with sympathy, to step in with kindness, to step in with understanding and go, yeah, I understand. 
I might not have been a physical stranger, but I know what it's like to be far away. I know what it's like to be overlooked. I know what it's like to be over, to be oppressed. But I also know what it's like to be brought near. I also know what it's like to be shown hospitality to by the greatest being in all of creation, in all of the world, the God who made heaven and earth. He was hospitable to us because his son became a stranger for us. And so that brings us to the last question. We know who, we know why, so the question is, well, how? How do we welcome the stranger? I got a few things for you. I tried to make these as practically as I could. Okay. First one is this. We look out for guests on Sunday mornings. I think there, that is a great place to start when we think about hospitality to the stranger because I can remember my first time walking in here. I knew a few people, but anyways, I walked in and I still felt like a stranger. I don't know these people. These people don't know me. People walk in here looking for relationship. They, look, they walk in here looking for a place of belonging. They walk in here sometimes because they have nowhere else to go, and they're hoping, man, I hope the people of God will be, will be welcoming to me. And I think sometimes we get confused and we think, you know, the only people that are responsible for welcoming people in this place are the people in blue shirts that serve as the host team at the front door. And God says, no, 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 no. This is our family. This is our house. And this is our responsibility. The people, the privilege, we, we are the people collectively, not just the host team members, but us as the family of God to get the privilege to welcome strangers and foreigners and travelers and, and hurting people off the streets into our home to invite them into relationship, to invite them into meals, to invite them into our lives. Look out for the guests on Sunday morning. Number two, welcome the immigrant and the foreigner. When I think about our country, I think about the college campus, some of the most overlooked people in, our, in this world are the immigrants, are the refugees. Some of the people we get most suspicious of are the immigrants, are the refugees, because of whatever narratives that are going on in our society. And God says, remember, you were, one, you, you were a foreigner. And because you were a foreigner, I'm calling you to welcome the foreigner. And so I ask you, where's the immigrant in your life? Because it doesn't take much to see them, to find them. Some of you work with people from other countries. Some of you go to grocery stores where a lot of the, the employees are people from other countries, other nations, other lands. And some of us, some of our favorite restaurants are places that are opened by people that have been in this country a year, two years, three years, a few years. They don't really speak English very well, but they make great food. I think that might be a really easy place for us to start. How do we welcome the immigrant and the foreigner? Well, sometimes it might just be best. What if we just step foot into their, to their space, to their restaurant, to their cuisine, and say, hey, you've already created a hospitable space for us. Let me step in. Let me be a blessing to you through my patronage. 
And then let me ask you, what's your name? Where are you from? How long have you been here? Is your family here? What's your experience been like here? Have you been, have you, have you been welcome to an American's home? Simple next steps, simple questions. Welcome the immigrant, welcome the foreigner. Number three, participate in the blueprint food distribution and clothing drive. It's right out there in that parking lot every Thursday at two o'clock. Now I know most of you, you know, you work, so I get that that's difficult, or it might be. But one of the best places to welcome people from our neighborhood who are struggling, some who are experiencing homelessness. I met a woman the other day, she, she's been living here a year. She's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been able to find a job for months. And I'm just hoping to get some food. I'm just hoping to get some clothes. She was right out there in that parking lot at two o'clock. You talk about taking familial love and stretching it to the other. That is a really simple way to do so. And if you can't participate, the guy who runs the thing is sitting right back there at the computer. His name's Josh. I'm sure he would love to say, hey, these are things that we need. We need these kinds of clothes. We need these kinds of toiletries. We need these kinds of supplies. And we can contribute financially, just going to the store, buying some things and bringing them. And making room for our neighbors to be cared for and to be invited into this family. And before, one of the things we actually got to do this week, right after Salt Company, is, is pre-pack some outreach bags for some of our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. It doesn't take you very long before you hit the, the streets or whatever, or before you hit an intersection. Right? There's people out there, they're asking for things, they're begging for things. I think it's, it's sometimes it's simple just to go to the store, buy some gallon bags, buy some water bottles, buy some granola bars, there's literally things called outreach packs on Amazon where you can get gloves and socks and you put these things together, put them in your car, roll down the window and say, hey, what's your name? You're like, do you have anything? Yeah, and you just hand it back. And when that happens, people's faces light up. Thank you so much, bless you. Really simple way to make space for people that get overlooked day by day by day by day. People rolling up their windows on them, people turning their face on them, people walking by them, people turning on their phone. I'm guilty of these things too. But this text has challenged me. How do I make space for people who are overlooked? And then lastly, how do we welcome the stranger? I think we need to open the door. When people knock, when people ring the ring, I'm not saying, you know, just go over there and just wildly open the door. Sure, maybe you need to take a look, okay? There's maybe some wisdom in that. But we need to open the door. I remember a time I did. There's this guy in my neighborhood. His name was Kelvin. And I remember the first time I met him, he, you know, he came by. I was outside in my driveway, and he was like, hey, man, can you see your grass is really long? Can I cut it? And I was like, nope, you cannot. My, my neighbor has a lawnmower, and I really don't want to deal with you. And just a couple of days later, he came back knocking on the door, and I was like, oh, there's Kelvin again, knocking on the door. There's Kelvin again. And so one day I just said, you know what? Let me go out here. And I opened the door. And I started talking to Kelvin. I was like, hey, man, you know what? I haven't gotten to the grass. You're welcome to cut it. You know, I'll give you $20 or whatever. And he cut it. And over time, Kelvin continued to do some work in my yard. And Kelvin continued to come back by my house and say hello. 
And I'd give him some shoes or give him some socks. Or my wife would give him some dinner that we had. Or he always would ask us to go to the store and get uh, Captain Crunch and some whole milk. He's like, I'm really skinny, man. I need some whole milk. So we'd get him whole milk, you know. And interestingly enough, you know what happened over time? The guy that I was suspicious towards. Like the first time he was cutting my grass, I was like walking around outside, like making sure he wasn't like scoping out my house or doing anything. I was suspicious of him. I was fearful of him. But you know what happened over time is, as I continued to make space for Kelvin, as I continued to open the door for Kelvin, I found myself in time going, I miss Kelvin. Where has he been at? It's been a couple of weeks. I got some Captain Crunch in the, in the pantry for him. I haven't been able to give it to him. Where is he at? And then one day he came to my house and he said, hey, you know my, my landlord, she just lost the house, so I think I'm about to have to move. And he's like, I don't know where I'm going to go. And I remember going inside and talking to my wife, Ricky, and she was like, well, if he can't find anywhere to go, what if he just stayed with us for some time? That was a powerful moment. You want to know why? Because I realized in that moment that the man who was formerly a stranger, the man who was, who was a foreigner, the man who I was suspicious of, by making space for him, he had become our friend. He had become someone that we said, you know what? Through these small acts of this stretching hospitality, this stretching familial type love to you, are someone that we would, you're our friend. So much so we would love to have you come in our house. Ultimately, he ended up moving to the west side of the city. And interestingly enough, I think the people who actually were changed the most by hospitality, right? We talked about this the first week, right? Hospitality is the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Honestly, you know, the person who experienced the most amount of hospitality in that space, it was me. And it was Ricky. Sure, Kelvin was cared for. Sure, Kelvin was welcome. Sure, Kelvin got some, some things that he could live and survive and care for. But at the end of the day, man, hospitality changed me. I got to see the heart of God. I got to experience the blessedness of God. And this is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. I think about his words in Luke 14. Luke 14, 13 and 14, he says this. He says, when you host a banquet... Invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed. What we gain in those moments of hospitality to the stranger, to the immigrant, to the overlooked, to the poor, to the lonely, is that we get the blessing of experiencing the soul-satisfying, life-giving presence of God and his kingdom with us. That's what Abraham experienced when he welcomed God into his tent with the angels. I got a glimpse of that as we welcome Kelvin into our space. And Blueprint, that's our invitation this morning from Jesus. If we would take him up and obey his command to not neglect to show hospitality to the stranger. That's what we get when we move past our fear, past our suspicion, and past our tendency to live with stranger danger and simply open the door, we get to experience the blessing of God. So we welcome the stranger.
So this time I want to welcome uh, the host team up, and we're going to celebrate with a, a time of communion. And as I think about communion, really, it is a beautiful act of hospitality towards us. Well, we get to take a moment to reflect on the fact that we were strangers, that we were foreigners, that we were enemies of God, and that God would give of his son his most valuable possession, his most valued person for us so that we might experience his hospitality, so that we might be welcomed home This bread and this drink points us forward ultimately to the, to the great feast of the Lamb where we'll celebrate this once again with Jesus, where he'll break bread and he'll offer us drink and we'll celebrate the fact that he became a stranger for us so that we might be welcomed at his table and we might be welcomed in his father's house and we might be welcomed in his father's kingdom. That's what we're gonna take this morning. Father, we bless you for your hospitality to us. That you would welcome the stranger, that you would welcome the foreigner, that you would welcome us. That we might be participants in your kingdom, that we might be members of your family, that we might have a seat at your table to experience your goodness and your mercy and your power and your grace and to experience fellowship with you now and forevermore. And so I pray this morning, God, that you would help us remember who we once were, that we were strangers, that we were foreigners, that we were far off, and that your son came here as a stranger to redeem those that were far, to redeem those that are overlooked, to redeem those that are repressed, so that we might, and so that we could become citizens in your family citizens of your city and members of your family. And so I pray you'd help us to be people that would welcome the stranger, that would welcome the poor, that would open the door to the traveler, that they might experience your hospitality and that we might experience your blessing. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.